I was distraught about the fact that in my best intention, I was really trying to do what I thought was the right thing, but I hurt other people and caused harm. And for me to cause harm to another human being, that, that is just, um, that's a, a, a that bottom below a bottom I don't want to go. Welcome to the Seasons of Sobriety podcast. This is a podcast where you can join in the journey of other recovering alcoholics and addicts. You'll be on the road with them as you listen to how each person came into recovery and how they persevered through times of anger, sadness, fear, and joy. I'm your host, Howard M. I'm here to share my own experience as well as the experience of other recovering brothers and sisters. I am so grateful you've decided to join me today. This episode features Betsy W. from Sarasota, Florida. Betsy has been sober since February 24th, 1989. As Betsy's story unfolds, you will see her perseverance as a parent when there is very little support from a spouse. Transforming from a pattern of gaining knowledge to gaining experience, and being able to identify flaws and how best to repair some damage done after decades of sobriety. She also demonstrates how to apply the principles of Al-Anon into her growth as a mother and a wife. Here now is my interview with Betsy W. Welcome, everyone, to the Seasons of Sobriety podcast. I'm here today with Betsy W. from Sarasota, Florida. Betsy came into the program at the age of 35. She is now 69 and has been sober since February 24th of 1989. Hello, Betsy, and welcome to the Seasons of Sobriety podcast. Hi, Howard. Welcome, Betsy. It's good to see you again. I would like you to take us back to January 1989 or about that time and tell us what was happening and what led you to start your recovery journey. Okay, well... The first thing I need to tell you is that I did not come here willingly. I got here as the result of an employer intervention. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I'm also going to say I put in a plug for the chapters of the employers in the big book. It happens to be my story. And I am forever grateful that there were people who cared enough. But what happened was I came out of a blackout parasailing in Miami Beach up in the air. That's not where I was supposed to be during a national sales meeting. And so that led up to a bottom that I didn't even know was coming. Um, I had been out of control for quite some time, but I justified it, rationalized it, and, and obviously made excuses for it. And, um, and yet what I remember in the that day after I um, wound up walking back into the lobby of the hotel and um, running right into my boss who had this look of just dismay. And um, realizing I was in trouble, but I thought I had gotten out of it and took three weeks from that point uh, until he called me in and He'd watched the progression of the disease in me for nine years while we were working together. He had watched. And a lot of stuff happened during those nine years, but I always showed up to work. Uh, I won't say I always did an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, but I showed up. I was a round-the-clock drinker and uh, for the last two years, at least, of my drinking. And anyway, he, he sat me down and he said... Um, you have a problem and we need to 
we, we need to talk about it. And I want you to go and listen to what these people have to say, meaning the employee assistance program at work. Um, because if you don't do what they suggest, we can't work together anymore. And at that point in my life, that would have been the only way I could have gotten help because I would not have come in for my children or my mother or my husband, any of that. I was not, um, but I didn't want to lose my job. And, and so, you know, that was kind of like the beginning of the end, if you will. Um, yeah, power sailing, Miami Beach. I still think about that. And when I share about that, people are like, you were like up in the air. I'm like, mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is really cool. I had no idea how I got in there. And um, obviously had a lot of explaining to do. But. <laughs> yeah. So this was just to clarify, you, you were waking up out of a blackout parasailing. In Miami Beach, uh -huh, oh, up yeah. in the air. I came out of blackout and I was up in the air and I'm like thinking, oh my God, oh wow, this is really, whoa, this is really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was, I'd been a blackout drinker, so I didn't actually, um, I wasn't filled with shame or guilt <laughs> other than for getting caught. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting that, you know, I would say, a normal person might be like, what, what, I have a problem, you know, and be ashamed mm -hmm. of it. And you were like, that's pretty cool, huh? Look, look where I am right now. Uh -huh, <laughs> like a dream exactly. woke up. Oh yeah, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, and like... two years prior to that, I had a DUI and um, wound up. Uh, I'm an alumni of the IDRC, which many people in New Jersey know about. It's the Intoxicated Driver Resource Center, and I remember going there and them asking all these questions. Um, and I know how to take a test. I lie. That's what I do. Um, and there was a young kid sitting next to me and the look on his face, he was like, oh my God, I think I'm an alcoholic. And I was like, oh, you poor thing. You know, I wow. wasn't anywhere close to being ready to stop. I still really wasn't. The bottom came up and smacked me just like our literature says, you know, mm. I was spared those last years of literal hell because of that. Yeah. And, and the, it's an interesting commentary you say about, you know, I wouldn't have done it for my children. I wouldn't have done it for my husband. It was just to keep my job. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This, this job really identified you, huh? Well, I had my whole, my whole ego and my uh, persona around who I was because of the job that I had. And, uh, yeah, I mean, otherwise the 80s are really blurry <laughs> for me, I will tell you. I know I had two children. I got divorced. I got married. All of that. I had an abortion. I had two abortions. I mean, it's just very blurry, but um, it's funny because I hear people say, don't you wish you could just go back? And I was like, hell no, I was glad to get out of there alive the first time. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, well, this is, you know, like I said, this is the 1980s, a woman in her 30s. It's, you know, the time of freedom. I can, you know, right, and do, do what I want. It's me and, and right? It, and mm -hmm. that was just the culture at that time. Mm -hmm. and, and you did. You did. I, I, I did. <laughs> I, I really did. Um, and that's, it's interesting that I look back and I don't have a lot of shame or regret tied to any of what was happening in the moment. I've looked back and had some, certainly as a mother, so, I have. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you're now working with the employee assistance program. You're going to meetings, oh, yeah. you know, you, and you, know, you have to you have to sit down with your family and, and have a chat about this. What's that? What was that like? 
Well, I didn't actually. I wound up being sent away for treatment to mm. a rehab. And the I remember the employee assistance program person laying out the plan of action, what they were proposing for me. And at the end of it, you know, she was like, you know, it's four weeks of inpatient, two weeks of outpatient, 12 weeks of aftercare. And then we recommend 90 meetings and 90 days. I'm like, that's impossible. I, I don't have time for that. She was like, well, it's what we suggest. I mean, that you do. And, and she said, and we have a bed for you. It's, they're, they're holding a bed for you right now. And I was like, well, I, I, can't, I can't go now. <laughs> I have too many things on my plate to do. I can't go now. So I put off going for four days. And, and that was, as I know it, I was a very social drinker. I read, drank at a lot of bars. And I went around to each one of them and said my farewell, and yeah, well, you know, they're making me go away, and I don't want to go, but I guess you won't see me here anymore. That whole grandiose exit from me with the boy, and what I had to do was drink, and I had all the people buying me drinks, because they were, oh, yeah, well. Your farewell you know, party, sure. I, I got them all that I could, but what I didn't realize at the time that I had done was I had set up a drunk trap for me to know after that big grandiose exit, I couldn't go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, or you just have to start over somewhere else, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. but uh, yeah, that didn't. It just was. Those were my haunts. Those were my places. Those were my people, and I just, I realized I could not go back. So when I wound up going to treatment, and my last um, drunk was en route to rehab, and it was five bottles of Molson Gold now, and the only reason that it wasn't six was because I just ran out of time. I just ran out of time. And that one, I grieved for the one that got away for years about that one beer that I didn't get to finish. But yeah, no, I was not sober the day I arrived in rehab, which is why my sobriety date is the day after. Okay, got it, got it. But I was there and I was inpatient. I wouldn't have done this on my own. I, I couldn't have. I really believe I needed to be taken out yeah. of my element. Okay. So let's fast so, forward a little bit. So you're out of treatment. Sure. You're you're now going to meetings in, in New Jersey because I know you're now in Florida, but um, you you got sober in New Jersey. Um, correct. And um, so so tell us a little bit about the the first you know kind of getting okay, into well, the meetings and everything. I can do that. They had um, you know they used to bring meetings into the rehab, mm -hmm. and every every week um, they would ask, "Is anybody getting out anytime oh, soon?" Okay. And this particular week was my turn. And I was like, yeah. And they said, well, do you have a meeting picked out? And I was like, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And it was uh, the Nutley Friday night meeting. Um, and the reason why I had picked that meeting was, A, it was a very old standing meeting. It started mm -hmm. in 1944. And B, because it met in the parish hall of the church I went to as a child. And I believed God would spot me points in that room. <laughs> That's great. Because he would remember the child that I had been before I mucked everything up along the way and made all these bargains that I never honored and all of that. So I went um, and I, cause I had really listened hard in rehab about the, um, the, I got an education about the disease of alcoholism mm -hmm. in rehab and there was nowhere for me to hide, but I had it. So once, you know, being confronted with the truth, then I paid attention to progression of the disease, all of those lectures, paid attention to relapse rates. And I, I, I didn't 
I didn't know if I'd get a second shot at this deal. So I, I, I had picked that meeting out and that was my actually my first home group that Nutley Friday night meeting and I needed to fill up my Friday night. So I would I worked in Nutley, so I would go to stay at work late and then I would go and go early, like they said, tell them go go early, tell them to new. And I did all that. And um yeah, that I got involved in um it was the candlelight speaker meeting and I got my first job in AA, which was the candle lady. I had to put out the candles on the table and then shortly before the meeting I lit the candles and at the end of the meeting I blew the candles out and put the candles away. So I had a, a function I had a role. I was there and mm -hmm. it was really really good for me, you know. Yeah, I, I you know, as you're describing your your the initial thing about you know and you're not the first person I've talked to about this, and me as well. Is you know, there's this, you know, alcoholic scorecard we come in with, like all the things, like you said. Oh, if I come here, God will think, you know, oh good, you know, I'm going to do for you what I've done for nobody else because you used to be, come to this church, or, um, or you know, I, the other one is you know, doing my homework, you know, the checkbox recovery, right? Just like, well, you said I was supposed to go to the meeting, so I went to the meeting and I went to the and and it it's just funny how how it starts out. Right, and then, you know, as we'll evolve here in, in your story, is like, it's it's not about that so much anymore. And uh, but that's what we need in the beginning, right? Structure. Well, and when they told me, I said I had that meeting, and the guy at the rehab who had brought the meeting and said, "Well, I know that meeting. When you get there, go early. Tell him you're new. Ask for Eddie or Chico." Mm -hmm. And I did that, and um, I walk in. I say, "I'm looking for Eddie or Chico," and they point me to this guy with tall guy with white hair and he says I'm I'm Eddie and this is Chico and he hands me a chihuahua and he says Chico's got seven years of sobriety come on with me I'll introduce you to some of the women and I I was like what am I getting into here and all these women were chattering at me let us love you until you can love yourself you never have to drink again if you don't want to you're not alone anymore oh my god and I had a spirit spiritual experience that first night at that meeting because as I said it was a candlelight speaker meeting and by now the dog is gone and the lights go down and the leader of that meeting said if you're new welcome and if you're just coming back welcome home hmm. and the hair on my arm stood up and I was like I don't understand what's happening here but I knew something something was there that um, was a feeling. And this is the last place I wanted to belong, but I felt something that um, I'm safe here. Yeah. yeah, it's like, like good, good news is you, know, you, you belong. The bad news is you may not know that. Right? You're, you're the last one to know you belong. Yeah. I didn't want to belong. No, of course not. Because then, it's, then I mean, you're the like closest, these people, right? Yeah, the closest I ever got was to say, someday I'm probably going to have to do something about my drinking. Mm. But that was no time in the near future. No. Right. And you know, interestingly, that woman in the employee assistance program, she, um, when I was telling her all the reasons why I couldn't go and I was why it was impossible, and I was like, and besides, I have nothing in common with those people. And she smiled at me and she said, well, you might have one thing. And it went right over my head. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I'm pretty smart, but that I didn't catch until way, way later. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. 
So I'd like to move a little bit more into kind of your, you know, how you pick a sponsor and, you know, what, you know, and, and when you finally found someone that was a good fit and, and how you work the steps together. Talk a little okay. about that, please. Um, I can. So that Nutley Friday night met once a week. It was a speaker meeting. It was great. Um, but I, I needed more than that. Mm-hmm. And so I got involved with a second group based out of Clifton called the Three Legacies Group. And what the um, Nutley Friday night meeting had was a long-standing tradition of service work. Um, And when I got to that Three Legacies group in Clifton, they met three times a week. There was a beginner's meeting, a closed discussion meeting, and a big book study meeting. And and there were some strong women in that group. And I found the woman who was to be my first sponsor. And interestingly enough, I approached her and you know, said, um, I guess I need to do a fourth step. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you be my sponsor? And she was like, well, let's talk a little bit about that. She said, where's God in your life? And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? Because see, I came out of rehab thinking I had done the first three steps because we read them. The homework, right? I did the homework. We read them. Um, But yeah, she said, no, well, she said, I'll I'll work with you, but you're going to, Come to my house every week. You're gonna get a, you're gonna bring your big book and your twelve and twelve and a notebook and a highlighter and a pen and you're gonna take notes and we're gonna read together. And she said, "No, as a matter of fact, um, I'll read to you. You just take notes." Mm-hmm. And I rolled my eyes and I said, "Oh, please, I can read better than you can." Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said, "Well, that may be true, but I can stay sober. Can you?" Ouch. And I had no answer for her. She was perfect for me. She's like, honey, I'm not looking for a new best friend, but I will help you. And so she and I, you know, did that work. I met with her every week. And, you know, I didn't especially like her, but I respected her sobriety. And I knew her sponsor. And, uh, I mean, there were, there was, like I said, some strong women. And, uh, I mean, I needed... I needed that. Mm-hmm. And I needed um, to have the accountability mm-hmm. to, to somebody like that. And I saw um, something that was attractive to me about how she seemed to wear life like a loose garment and, you know, live in the world and have a sense of humor because I didn't think I would ever be able to have fun anymore or laugh. Right. Anyway, so all of that. But, you know, I started, we started working and she, she told me to do things and I didn't ask a lot of questions. I just did them. You, you just know? followed directions. She said, yeah. make these lists. Yeah. She said, you know, make a list of all the things you're afraid of. Make, make a list of, of, of the things you're grateful for. Make a list of, of everybody who ever affected you in your life. I had a lot of people's names on that list, and mm-hmm. I didn't question it. And she said, they may not all belong on your four-step, but it'll be there for a reason. If they come into your mind, just put them on the paper. Yeah. Yeah. And then it took me weeks and weeks working on my fourth step. And she'd do a spot check every once in a while. And, you know, she set up the columns right out of the big book, yeah, right sure. out of the big book. That's yeah. the way we did it. Yeah. Um, and I, that's kind of the way I do it with people. But, um, yeah, she took me a, quite a while to get through it all. And, uh, and then, you know, she said, are you on that list? I was like, no. She said, no, you probably need to be on that list. 
And then she said, is um, God on that list? I was like, no. She was like, well, probably you need to put God on that list too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was just, I kept thinking I was done. She kept giving me more work. But yeah, it took, by the time I, I was about um, 15 months sober by the time I did my fifth step. Yeah. No, that's not exactly true. I was probably 10 months. And then at 15 months, I moved and left and went to Florida. So. Okay. She had me through my, in my through my fifth step, and she told me this is another key thing that I do with people. She said to me, um, six, seven, eight, and nine, they're going to take a long time. You can't afford to pick up any more garbage. She said, we need to start you on 10 right away. Right, right. And she said, your job every night is to call up a visual image of a chalkboard, a blackboard, and take an eraser and visually wipe that slate clean. Hmm. And, um, you know, six, seven, eight, and nine have taken me a long time, so I'm glad I didn't have to wait to start on 10. Yeah, I I like that uh, expression or technique when she said, you don't need to pick up any more garbage. Let's let's get you focused right away on, on... promptly admitting when you're wrong mm-hmm. yeah and i when, when you were talking about the fourth step in the list as well it reminded me of a when i when i sponsor someone and you know i said we well, you know, start writing a list i said well how am i supposed to remember all those people i said well let's just start with yesterday because <laughs> you know were you mad at anyone yesterday well yeah okay this and go backwards you don't have to go back to 19 whatever just start with yesterday or the week before because mm-hmm. i know you have a resentment that you never haven't dealt with you know for years right well, yeah, yeah. So it's it's easy if you just you know start with the recent past, not the distant past, right? Yeah. 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 They the the names just were there, and um, I knew some of them that were significant. Mm-hmm. Some of them, you know, not so much, but they were still they went on there. I didn't want to have to ever go back and do it again because she promised me if I did this the big book way, I'd never have to do it again. And I believed her. And what I can tell you is I've never had to go back over those people, okay, those lists again. But as life goes on, yes, you know, things happen and we wind up needing to do other inventories. Yeah. And that's okay too. Well, as, as I've said on this show, this podcast, uh, getting sober at 21, like most of my men's are for what I've done in sobriety. You know, as as a, I, I didn't don't do, you hate do a, that? Yeah, don't I, you? I hate yeah. having to make amends. I, it's in like, yeah, I don't, I don't get the, what I've done. Yeah, I don't get the little things. Oh, I drank. That's why. No, I was just a one hundred percent, you know, jerk. That's why. Uh-huh. You know, didn't care about anybody yeah. but myself. And uh, uh-huh. so, um, are there anything, any highlights from that four step, like how, how your defects manifested themselves? You'd like to share? With oh, us? sure. Because at the end of it, absolutely. Um, there were two recurrent themes that I could see over and over and over again. And that was that I was filled with self pity Mm. and that I absolutely required other people's approval and acceptance. Um, and I was willing to go to almost any length to get it. All right. I'm going to say that was absolute. It was all over every, everything I could do. And I kept circling them. Oh, look, there it is again. Oh, look, there it is again. I mean, and so, you know, that's for sure uh, the biggest aha that came out of that. And that, you know, ultimately, 
the problem wasn't them and the problem wasn't alcohol. Yeah. The problem was me. Yeah, that... And that I didn't know how to be different in the world. I honestly didn't. Um, but once I knew the difference, then I had to take responsibility for that. Gosh, yeah. I didn't like that at all, but it was true. It's, a, it's an interesting dynamic that, you know, being, being emotionally attached to the approval of others, right? And mm-hmm. when you don't get it, you go right into the self-pity, right? There's something wrong with me. And we create that cycle. Right. It could also be only child syndrome a little bit. And the fact that sure. I didn't even know I had abandonment issues because my father was gone. I was raised by my mother and my grandmother and I was spoiled rotten and I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. Mm. But there was something very different about me and the way I grew up in Nutley, New Jersey in the 60s without a father. Sure. With a father who had been an alcoholic and was gone by the time I was six years old. And then I saw him maybe six times until he died when I was 13. Hmm. So there was, there was none of that validation from a father figure that I have learned over the course of time and experience that um, mattered that I, I missed out on. And so I overcompensated, took a lot of hostages along the way for that. Yeah. Yeah. The, those core relationships that we start out with with our parents, it's so hard to realize how important those connections were, right? Mm-hmm. And and when they've been twisted or distorted as normally they are, but you know, I've said to myself, well, that's just the way it was. Yes, it was that way, but you know, to carry it on and to expect to have deep understanding passionate relationships when I had no tools mm-hmm. to do that. Well, that's where it got, I got caught up because like, how, how come no one's responding to my sarcasm and my rage and my, you know, my inappropriate humor? Cause that's, that's how we showed love in my family. Right. Cause that's not how people show love. And I also, you know, it set me up to have a lot of unhealthy relationships mm-hmm. with men. Yeah. Quite yeah. honestly. Um, but, that's, that's, you know, th- those things I, I didn't know beforehand. Sure. I, I didn't know. I just knew that there was something wrong with me. See, you know, from the earliest age, I had two voices in my head. As long, early as I can remember. One voice said, you're not good enough and you never will be. And the other voice was the world owes me. So when I heard about the duality of the egomaniac with the inferiority complex, I was like, oh, my God, that's those voices. I know those voices. I've had those voices my whole life. And, and so it really was, in a peculiar way, sort of a comfort <laughs> to get some of that definition around it. And like having that diagnosis of knowing that part of the manifestation of this disease is that duality that I get that. I yeah. okay. So now I don't have to hide about those voices, which I never wanted anybody to know yeah, about because right. I didn't know anybody else had them. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's it may sound but a little it, different, but they're kind of the same voice because mine mine was, um, I'm useless, mm-hmm. and uh, and you don't belong. Mm. So that yeah. that was so that's why like if. 
I've said on this thing, this podcast in the past, like someone makes a little kind of side mark. Hey, why don't you make yourself useful and, you know, grab some chairs. I said, you can't say that to me. Like it just triggers. Like you can't, I know you're joking, but because mm-hmm. it's so, you know, such creates such a visceral reaction. Like how dare you call me that? And it's like, they're not, they're, they're not the people from the past. They, mm-hmm. they are just making a little comment. And it's, and it's hard to not project all this, uh, older dynamic onto current relationships, mm-hmm. right? And and that's part of the challenge I've had in my recovery. So to to just wrap that up about Irene, Irene was my big book sponsor. She was my first sponsor, mm-hmm. and she laid that foundation for me. And then at 15 months sober, I moved to Florida for the first time. I've moved a lot in sobriety, but to first time I moved to Florida. And I knew I didn't need another big book sponsor because I had that foundation. I needed a spiritual guide. And that has been Joe Jack, and she's been my sponsor now for 31-plus years. And she's been that spiritual teacher, leader, follower. I I mean, she just is all of that and a bag of chips as far as I'm concerned. And it's interesting because she's 91, and she – you know, I say, I always say, wherever you go, I go. And she's like, yeah, I'm not so sure you can go where I'm going. Mm. And that catches me every time she says it. And um, I then slough it off and say, yeah, but that's not today. So, yeah. but she's been um, really a, a, a mainstay in my life ever since then, you know, from that time at 15 months on. What was what was the like the first spiritual transformation you and her worked on that she said okay I'm I'm sticking with this lady. Well, I asked her if we could talk because I would see her in meetings and I, I, you know, first of all, we both are of the same religious denomination. She was an Episcopalian. I'm an Episcopalian. I didn't know how to navigate communion because in the Episcopal Church. We receive the body and the blood. Okay. We get wine. And I'm like, I know it's transformed into the blood of Christ, but come on, it's wine. It's wine in the cup. Anyway, I didn't know what to do about that. I was having like a, a moment, like, I don't know what to do. And I watched her, and she just basically crossed herself when it came to receiving the cup. And I was like, I could do that. So I had been watching her not only in meetings, but I'd seen her in church. And I went up to her and I said, can, can I talk to you? This was after a meeting. And she said, I'm not so sure um, I have what you want. Hmm. And the next day she had a heart attack. And was, I, I, I just, but um, she recovered, fortunately. And I saw her in a meeting a couple months later. And I was like, so can we talk now? <laughs> She was like, you're, you're not going away, are you? I was like, no, I don't think I am. And so, I mean, it's, you know, in some way, shape, or form, it's all become spiritual. I don't mm-hmm. know if that helps you with that specific question, but the things that happen and the way they happen and how it unfolds, I can't make it up. I can't, I can't contrive it. Mm-hmm. It's, she's been, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that I knew from that moment of watching her do that action in in church to listening to her in AA and and seeing um, the way she was in the world that she seemed to wear it like a loose garment. And she had a very prominent husband and was able to navigate in a way that that you know didn't interfere with her recovery. Um, but she was also very private about that. And, okay. you know, it was good to, you know, I, I was used to seeing people play off of fame and fortune mm -hmm. and she absolutely did the opposite of that. She used discretion. Yeah. Absolutely. Humility. Yeah. So is it, is it fair to say as you're watching her, you're watching her take care of herself as a sober woman? Yes. And interestingly, she always commented on the fact that she didn't have the foundation of the literature that I had. Hmm. And she felt like I had the, I had better quality sobriety as a result of that. And I was, no, I don't, I don't, I don't see it that way. But she said, but you know, the literature better than I do. And I was like, well, I'll be happy to take you through if you want. Right, um, right. But you know, it's, she, uh, she's just been a, a great spiritual guide for me and is the reason i have so many books by the way mm. every birthday every christmas every aa anniversary all of that it would be like a scarf a candle nope i get a book mm, right another book yeah what, what, what she was saying is and i've said this as well with the big book and the literature because you know i i studied the big book quite a bit for a long time however i was the guy like who had a cookbook but never made a meal Mm -hmm. I went hungry. You know, I was like, I knew all about, I knew the literature, but I didn't really know how to apply it. Yeah. Well, she certainly broadened my scope of what a relationship is with a God of my understanding. And that, you know, that line about in my father's house, there are many mansions. There's so many pathways to spiritual experience mm -hmm. that, I mean, there isn't any one that I would, put above another okay. and that's through her guidance you had talked a little bit about um multiple relationships and, mm -hmm. and then some of the background information you said you've been married multiple times and, and mm -hmm. can you can you walk us through a little bit your your progression you know of of relationships and you know before sobriety and, and maybe in sobriety okay well you know like i said i had an unhealthy ideal about what that would be. And I met my first husband in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He was a panhandler and I grew up in Nutley, New Jersey and had never seen anything like that. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And so he taught me how to panhandle and I was like, wow. this is amazing. People just give you money, you grub money on the street. Are you kidding? Anyway, um, I married him and we, you know, we, had a really good, I mean, he was who I meant forever when I said it. And we, we traveled around the country in a motorhome, taking college yearbook pictures. I was his assistant and we just had a great, great life. But, but we were together 24 seven. And after that, we came back to, um, I said, it's time to come off the road. We always said we were going to have a family. And so I, we bought a house in uh, Garrett Mountain, and then I went to work for this company that I swore I'd never go to work for, but I did. 
And um, he wound up in studio photography work, which didn't fulfill him. And so he just sort of became a, a drug dealer. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved the excitement about it. I loved everything about it. I loved the access um, until I didn't because I began to have a certain degree of paranoia around all of the traffic in the house all the time. Hmm. And we were away in Aruba and um, it was right before Christmas and it was, um, I had forgotten my pills and wound up getting pregnant and I, we came back and, and I was like, Ooh, um, I think I'm pregnant. And he was like, yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. I don't think there's any room in my life right now for a child mm. and I crashed. That was when I catapulted over. How did I not see that coming? How did I not know? And so I said, well, my life isn't gonna be complete without children, but if you don't want any, then I guess we can't stay married. So I had an abortion, ended that marriage. And mm. that's when I said, oh, all bets are off now. I'm going out with a vengeance and I'm gonna party and party. And I started pitching, um, I was in the, a pub in in LA, and I would the owner would always say, "Why don't you Why don't you play softball for us? You know, you're here all the time anyway." So I started pitching for that ta tavern league team. And, and, and um, just to, you're, you're what, in your late twenties at this point. Right? I am, um, yeah, yes. Okay. I'm about twenty eight. Okay. And I um, so we were in this championship game, and I'm <clears throat> in a blackout. Didn't realize it got into a fight and I'm not a fighter. And um, I woke up in bed with this guy who was the coach of the team that we beat. And I jumped up and crashed to the floor. I had broken my foot and I, I was like, oh my God. So he took me to the hospital, my right foot. I had a standard shift car. I said, oh, well, oh. there we go. So don't worry, I'll move in. I'll take care of you. And I married him because he was a suitable sire for the children I wanted to have. And I said that to my mother and my mother said, I don't know that's what you mean. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what I mean. My biological clock is sick in here. Mm -hmm. So um, I was wasted when we got married. I married him for the wrong reasons. And I, uh, I had two children and, um, and, um, then I wound up having a DUI and an abortion. And then I wound up getting sober. And the uh, healthier I got, the sicker the relationship got. Let me just put it that way. Okay. And, you know. Yeah, yeah two, two children. Two sons with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then um, got, got that, had that intervention and wound up moving to Florida and he, um, it just wasn't healthy. It, and I ultimately, what gave me the courage to end that marriage was the fact that I saw an unhealthy role model for my two sons. Mm -hmm. And by saying I was condoning it, there's a story in the third edition of the big book called he who loses his life. It's, it used to be the story. It's not in the fourth. It was the story right before freedom from bondage. And there's a line in that story that really grabbed me and gave me the answer I needed, which was in God's world, there's only one law and that's the law of love. Hmm. And there are only two sins against that law. The first is to hinder another human being's growth. And the second is to hinder your own growth. Hmm. 
And I read that story and I'm in Florida now and Joe Jack's my sponsor. And, and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't. Um, it's just not, it's not okay. So that's when I wound up um, ending that marriage. And I will tell you that if I had known how horrible it was going to be and become, I don't know if I would have had the courage to do it. It was born out of desperation, but I knew I could do it until I didn't know if I could do it. Because what I was not prepared for was the rejection of my children. Because they saw that I had destroyed this family. He said all that. And um, it was horrible. It really was um, the closest I ever came to picking up a drink to date. And it was just for a little while, I heard myself say, a drink will take this pain away. Emotionally, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't stand it. So I wound up going to my home group in Florida at the time. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I mean, he's in counseling. The kids are in counseling. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there like, why, why am I not in counseling? I had been expecting AA to provide everything for me and be my refuge. And it tells us in our literature that that's not the case, that there will come a time when we may need outside help and we should avail ourselves of that. And that was a turning point for me when I, I wound up getting some outside help. But boy, I'll tell you, it was a rough go for, for a while, for a while. And, and fortunately now, um, things are way better with my children and I'm a grandmother, so I mean, yay. But I, uh, I, those were dark times. I know that's something that you had wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, some of those times that were, you know, it's not all happy-go-lucky every day is puppy dogs and roses recovery. Sometimes you have to learn that you can't just put your happy recovery face on. You've got to show people that you're hurting and let them help you. And the longer you're sober, the harder that is sometimes. Isn't it true? Because mm -hmm. being being vulnerable when people see me and like, well, don't you know everything now? <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice yeah. if I didn't need any more help. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's um, God the, the the commentary on needing outside help because I, I know I know the part the pages in the big book you're talking about and it was pointed to me. I think it was 1992, so I was three years sober. And you know, the red line that, you know, God has provided us with all sorts of doctors and all sorts of other things for us to avail us. And, and I just looked at it and said, so AA won't fix everything? And he said, no, my friend, it won't. Mm -hmm. You know, AA's purpose is to help you find a, a God of your understanding mm -hmm. that will help you, you know, recover from your illness. And other mm -hmm. than that, AA can be kind of limiting, you know? It's not filled, filled with people who have degrees to help me with some of these attachment issues and abandonment issues and all that. And so I, it was, the myth was dispelled for me early on. Yeah. Well, and the good news is that we, we, we get to find the, the fellowship that we seek. And, and as long as we continue um, growing, you know, that you talk about a, a, another pivotal moment that during that time I was really challenged with God mm -hmm. and um, 
I was so hurt and angry and I jumped in my car and I'm screaming at God and I'm just saying, I, I need a sign. I need, I need a sign and I need it now. Hmm. I need to know that it's going to be okay. I need to know. And I'm driving down to Punta Gorda to Joe Jack's to spot my sponsors. And in the, it's pouring rain, like only Florida rain can rain so that the wipers are going back and forth. And back. You can't see anything. And I'm crying. Mm -hmm. And I finally pull over because I really can't see. And I had just had this challenge to God about needing a sign. And... I'm looking through the windshield wipers and I'm looking and I had pulled over in the parking lot of a bar and the name of the bar was the Slipknot. Wow. And now it was a nautical Slipknot, but still slip I'm sitting not. there and yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you really? Okay. Okay. I guess I can try it one more day. I can do it one more day. And I just, you know, it's just those kinds of moments where you just can't, make it up that it's okay yeah. okay this know? is this is not your day to slip right that's it's great. not my day and 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 as as long as i can always remain teachable and never forget those moments mm -hmm. and be able to share about those with other people who are going through those kinds of moments themselves i mean i know that this fellowship is definitely uh, a godsend. Mm, okay. Yeah, the program. It's definitely divinely inspired. So, um, back back to your, your, your children. So they were, uh, from what you said, they were 9 and 11, right? They and, were 3 and 5 when I got sober. Okay. And then when you and got divorced? And then the they were, they were, yeah, 9 and 11. Okay. And then... Where, where do you think the turning point in the repair was in, in, in them embracing you rather than rejecting you time time is the only thing that heals that and i i will tell you i was speaking at a conference in st petersburg i had been asked to speak probably nine months prior and it was a sunday morning um spiritual speaker and i this was all going on at that time and i was at that podium and it was Mother's Day. Mm. And it was, well, you know, Mother's Day is a very special day in, in the history of our fellowship to begin with, but it also was the year that my children wanted nothing to do with me and where better could I have been? So that, me just being consistent, showing up saying, you're not gonna believe what I say, pay attention, watch with your own eyes, and make up your own decision out of it because they were very heavily influenced by their father who was hurting. Mm -hmm. And I laughed. I mean, I couldn't, I mean, it was, a, it was a terrible situation. We had shared custody every other day. Ooh. Every other day. I'm telling you, the, the state of Florida was not. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, I wound up going back to New Jersey with my younger son um, who needed support services. He was deaf profoundly profoundly hearing impaired and their services were not available in florida like they were in new jersey so mm -hmm. casey and i went back to new jersey and i left eric down here with his dad um and i flew down here the next weekend 
And saw him and then I waited a couple of weeks and flew down again and Eric was like, Mom, I wanna I wanna go back with you. I wanna mm-hmm. come with you. Wow. And I was like, I don't have legal custody to you. And I talked to the therapist who he the deal was he was supposed to be taking him for counseling. And he hadn't been. And I said, What do I do? And she said, Well I can I can help you process that legally because he hasn't met the requirements, but if you want to take him, take him. So I, I did, and it was horrible. Um, but it was a transitional year. And then we all moved to Texas. My boys and I moved to Texas in San Antonio. Um, and that was a whole other layer of recovery. And um, But that started to change things because there was distance between their dad and them. Mm. And I was the responsible parent. I was the one, uh, you know, and by by the very same token, I was the one that was the safe one to take things out on. Right. And right. my younger son you, never You were did. more put together so they could take it out on you. Yeah, I got you. My younger son never did, but my older son did, and he figured he carried the brunt of it for both of them. Okay. And um, to some extent, he may be right. And that relationship has been years in the reparations department, but we're better now than we've ever been. But, you know, he's 39 now. <laughs> I mean, honestly, he, you know, it's, it, there's, it's time, but you know, that it's, it's crazy um, to look back at some of this stuff and, and some of his own growth, but I had to walk away from him. Actually. I, I said, I've been making amends to you for 20 years. I'm done. There's nothing left I can do for you. I'm standing right here. I definitely want a relationship with you. But the next move is yours. And I walked away. And that was hard because I had to really give it to God and know that I couldn't fix it. And so since that time, there's been a tremendous amount of healing that Mm -hmm. has taken place. Yeah, the uh, the statute of limitations seems to be uh, quite elusive uh, uh, in sobriety. As a parent, it never yeah. runs out, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm always going to be. And this was the thing that killed me because I said to my husband at the time, look, the husband-wife deal, that's done. But mother-father will never be. Never. Huh. Can't we? Tr-? He was like, absolutely not. Um, no, no. And I keep trying. I keep saying, you know, if there's ever. We've been through six graduations, a wedding, I mean, all of this stuff. Um, it's just awkward and difficult, and I don't try and fix it anymore. We now share grandchildren, and that's still also awkward and difficult, but I, don't tr- I try not to say anything badly about him. That, I have learned, is not my place. I can only cause harm, and I don't want to cause harm. Yeah, ultimately, and you don't, do you need any more amends on your list right now? I don't think so. <laughs> no, that's a negatory. No, I don't. I seem to wind up with with them somehow anyway, but not very often. Yeah. So my new husband has been my husband now, and I met him in the rooms, and it was sort of interesting because it was a sanctioned. I was with my sponsor. He was with his sponsor, whom I knew. I didn't know him, but I would fly back and forth to Florida because um, by now I'm in Texas, and my mom would move to Florida, and I was down here, and I would fly back. Anyway, and this was my an old group that I'd been very involved with, and 
I would jump up and run over and people would be like, hey, Betsy, it's so good to see you. And I'm like, oh, yay. And I'd sit back down. And it was a celebration eating meeting. And I kept jumping up and sitting down and jumping up and sitting down. And this guy is sitting next to me. He goes, so excuse me, but are, are you somebody special? And I was like, yeah, I am. And kind of like the hair on my arm stood up. And I was like, ooh, I don't know who this guy is. But I had been alone for quite a while. And like I say, I always say I, his sponsor was on one side, my sponsor was on the other, and we just met, and that's how we started dating. It was a long-distance relationship. It took, it evolved over time, mm -hmm. um, so I didn't meet him and marry him like I did the other two. <laughs> um, but yeah, and we're very different, but he's been really good. In fact, we were married. We didn't live together for 10 years. <laughs> mm. Because I was in California by now working, and he was on the East Coast living in Florida or Maine or New Jersey. Anyway, his business was here, and I, I'm i just saying that. It's interesting how it all unfolds. But this one, this one has been a sober relationship. It's a God-centered relationship, so it's very different. Mm. And, and uh, his children, he has children from previous marriages? He well? has three sons. I have two sons, so together we have five. We have six grandchildren. I have three. He has three, so we have six. Okay. And how, um, how old were his children when you guys got married? Were they adults um, or were they old? His, his, you know, interestingly, his oldest is 43. Mm -hmm. And then um, his second oldest is 41. And then Eric and, and Tyler are both 39. And Casey is 37. So they're all around the same pocket. Okay. And, you know, it's interesting because we have watched now for years waiting to see if we have any applications pending for this fellowship. And there's a possibility, but we don't know. We just know what we know how to make sobriety look attractive. Mm -hmm. And that's all we can do. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, five, five boys. Wow. And, um, when me and you were connecting to, to mm -hmm. arrange the podcast, you were just uh, finishing a trip with one of your sons. The right? one that, yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, and, and I had shared with you that I, I'm the son, you know, whereas like you're the mother. Like, so um, yeah. talk a little bit about that trip that you took together. I know you, you had said like, oh, wait, wait to hear about this trip. So it, it, it's, it, I think it's, this is a good time for that. Sure, and it's been very interesting because this is the son that I ha has been my my the work that I've had to do the most, and he too has done it. But it's interesting because we know for a healthy exchange, maybe we have a four day window of being together yeah. before we start to get on each other's nerves. We were together for ten days, which was at least six days too long um but the, the the trip was we were both um on our best behavior i tried not to do things that i knew would annoy him and he, he tried not to berate me about the things that i do that i know annoy him but you know he it's interesting because he uh we got to we got to and i told him at the end we had one blowout but we didn't hurt each other really he just ghosted me. He went right dark and quiet. Silent, and, silent scorn. Uh-huh, yeah. silent scorn. 
but not hurtful in the way that he has been in the past. And if we hadn't been on a ship, he probably would have bailed. Oh, so you were on a cruise together? We were. Okay. We were on a Mediterranean cruise. Um, anyway, at the end of the trip back, when we parted company at Newark Airport, and I said, look, you go on ahead. I, I got to sort out. I got to get a car because I was going on uh, a retreat, actually, after the cruise. Down, of course, a spiritual retreat. Shore. Yeah, right. Yeah. I needed that. I knew that was coming. But um, And I said to him, I said, you know, my hope is that as we get further away from this, you will realize you had a good time and that there were things that you really enjoyed about it. And that has happened. I mean, we talked to each other on a fairly, I just saw him. I was up there in New Jersey this past weekend um, at a conference down in Atlantic City and we had lunch together, which was the first time we had been face to face since the cruise. But it is true. I mean, you know, we both have been able to be more mindful about what the triggers are that we prompt in each other. And, you know, the silent scorn may be one thing, but certainly um, sarcasm, he comes by naturally. Yeah, that's... Because I, I was pretty good at that. Uh, but he used to always throw in my face about, you know, the things that he would say and that I always say that this is an honest program and he should be honest. And I was like, yeah, but you confuse honesty with cruelty and that's not okay. Mm. And so we've been working on it. But yeah, it's, I can tell you right now that this relationship is better than I could have ever hoped it would be mm-hmm. at some of those low points. It's a function of time. Time is the only thing that makes a difference at, at the end of the day um, when hurts are so deep. You know, yeah. you need some space to heal them. You need, he is, very anti-AA, but loves the fact that I'm sober. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that's a big, that's the only way I can qualify it, where my younger son, you know, is a very spiritual guy and, you know, always talks about how happy he is for me that I have found um, my answers and, and the life I needed to live through AA, whereas Eric would say it's just, a bunch of addicts drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. That's what he remembers from when he was a kid going to meetings. I don't have to justify it to him anymore, though. I don't have to say anything because he knows what my life is. And and he knows that the life I have led has, and the choices I made a long time ago, um, he and his brother would have had very different lives if I hadn't made those choices sure. a long time ago. And they both are very successful. And I, I mean, one's a doctor, one's a lawyer. Um, a single parent, not too bad that I can, you know, look back and say I might have done a lot of things wrong, but some things I really did right. Yeah. I, um, and, and the reason I went was focused on this when you first talked about it is because uh, earlier this year I was at a workshop um, for emotional sobriety mm-hmm. and during the workshop so like part one was just some you know slides and talking about and everything and then part two was does anybody want to work on something and 
I don't know if I worked on it by accident or on purpose. I was making a comment about somebody else, what they had said or whatever. And they said, well, why don't you come over here, you know, and sit down. And so one of the therapists uh, there was, was teasing out some things about me and my relationship with my mom and how angry I was at her. And that, you know, and, and as a result, and I don't like saying this, but, you know, and, and I punish her every chance I get because of some, you know, I'm judge and jury and, and it's not fair anymore. Maybe, maybe at one point it was, maybe, but certainly now that I'm 55 and she's 79. You still uh, do that? No, but. It's well now that I'm aware of it, I'm like, you know, but but I had to be sober thirty two and a half years, you know, for and for someone to sit down with me. And, so so you're still punishing her, huh? And I'm like, mm. yes, yeah, okay. So and and let's look at the payoff of all that. You know how upset I am. How you know I worked up. You know, yeah. Yeah, and how everything has to be my way. I mean, just, you know, just unpacked all this stuff for me. And, you know, um, and it was time to let that go. But I had to get to this point of, you know, someone making me see, you know, that I, I was still, you know, she was still the cause, right? And and she had to be punished in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so... We, we had seen each other in person shortly after that session. It was uh, actually, my son was uh, graduating from uh, officer training school and, and she decided to come. So it was in June, we were all in Alabama and, mm-hmm. and you know, according to my wife, I was much better behaved and she was much worse behaved. <laughs> you know, so, so it's just like, yeah, I did a great job is what she was saying, even though it didn't feel like I was doing a good job. And it really didn't because probably there was still stuff in my head, right? But mm-hmm. I, but I didn't act on it, you know. And, um, and I, and I now understand, you know, the who she is and who she's trying to be, and 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 it isn't against Howard anymore. But that's what I, you know, that, that's where I kind of identify with your son a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, well, but you ruined everything, and mm-hmm. so I need to make you pay. Mm-hmm. For the rest of your life, mm-hmm. and and you know, I, I learned that no, no, you don't, because mm-hmm. who's who's losing? Mm-hmm. Me, right? Mm-hmm. Her, obviously, but but I, I'm losing. I'm you know both of you. Yeah. When, yeah. when my wife would watch me talk to my mother a certain way with the sarcasm, it's like, who is this guy? Yeah. You know, I became unattractive to my wife while she watched how I talked to my mother. And it's like, really? After Ooh. 30 plus years of sobriety, that's uh, that's real impressive, Howard. Nice. Uh-huh. You know, I don't care how many quotes you can do out of the big book. Who are you now? Right. Right? right. Yeah. So, it's, it's, I mean, but you know what? That's a, a seminal moment for you. Yeah. And I think some of this stuff, we can't, we can't get it before we get it. We can't, you know, the, that line from that song about... Um, how oftentimes we live our lives in chains and never even know we mm-hmm. had the key. I, I, I didn't know it until I knew it, you know? Yeah. And I know that I had to do my part differently um, and, and that I could attach no expectation 
on on right. on my son. But I, it's a flip side story for me being the one in recovery and him not. Yeah. And between you and 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 your mom, but. I think that the one who's sober ha- has to be the more responsible party, <laughs> unfortunately, because they don't know what they don't know. And yeah. I remember seeing, the, uh, hearing somebody uh, many years ago talk about the fact that he had the worst, worst parents ever. And he talked about some of the things that happened and, the, and some of the abuse that he went through. And he finally said, but, you know, I got to a place in my heart where I realized they did a horrible job, but maybe they were doing the best they could. And I just, you know, something hit me with that because that kind of was a healing moment for my father mm-hmm. who I didn't even, I mean, I, that's a whole other story, but um, maybe he was doing the best he could. And it wasn't about me at all. Yeah, what what I discovered is, you know, that maybe her and my dad were the architect of the lousy messages I had for myself as a child. But as a fifty something year old man, I'm I create a safe harbor for those thoughts. Not them anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's right. like, no, they're not responsible for it anymore. You are for the way mm-hmm. you think about yourself. And the way you, you know, treat yourself and talk to yourself, those messages are all you, my friend. And it's like, oh, wow. So again, I have the key, right? Yeah. yeah. It's cool stuff. Yeah. So one of the questions I asked in the background is, uh, you know, something about that, you know, what, what hurts me more in my recovery is not what I don't know, but things that I thought I knew for certain and, and found out I was wrong. Can you talk about some of the things you discovered for yourself or or you thought you knew and you were wrong? Yeah, well, I mean, there was a time in my early sobriety when I became like this bitch queen, mother goddess, champion, defender of AA and designated spokesperson for God. Um, (laughs) Honestly, and I'm so glad. I mean, that warrior phase, I... I grew up in sobriety here in Florida. And then, as I said, I've moved a lot of times. And that has helped somebody who has an ego like mine Mm -hmm. and somehow a need to be right, um, that I knew that my my life was going to be dependent upon fitting in with AA wherever I was. And that I could have easily become one of those bleeding deacons slash elder statesmen that was trying to run the show. And I have I have done that. I was involved in a group here where one of the guys was a predator and he he was horribly so. And I tried to get him blackballed. I tried to get him thrown out of the meeting and. Week after week after week, I was incensed that there he would be and that he, he needed to he needed leave because he was hitting on these young girls. And I, two of them I was trying to sp- I sponsor it. Anyway, the group finally had a group conscience and we were sitting together and one of the persons who was the designated exposed person said, it seems like you're really having a problem with this. Um, 
maybe you should find another group. Ooh. And I was like, what? That was a moment for me to recognize that I had been acting like the big shot, acting like the designated spokesperson, and that I was, I was the problem. That the problem mm. wasn't them or him. That the problem was me. And that's one of one of those things that I I have had as a cautionary tale to use to remember. Oh yeah, yeah, you, you're still you. You can you can still. I I try to not do those things anymore. I made a mistake several years ago with a the sponsee of a sponsee. And in my mind, because it was in the same lineage that I could talk to this person, when what had been shared with me in confidence by my sponsee to me, I ultimately violated by going directly to this person mm. who had um, relapsed and refused to acknowledge a change in sobriety date. And I was like, you can't do that. I mean, you just, you're, that, you can't do that. You're as sick as your secrets. You got, and she didn't know that I knew that. And I, so that whole thing blew up. And I had to change groups because mm. I was so, I was distraught about the fact that in my best intention, I was really trying to do what I thought was the right thing, but I hurt other people and caused harm. And for me to cause harm to another human being, that that is just um, that's a, a, a that bottom below a bottom. I don't want to go right spiritual bottom. I like to call it. Yeah, yeah. So those things, you know, I mean, I have that as my own experience. So I'm I'm, I'm well aware of that. That even with the best intention, I can still cause harm when I play God. Hmm. And that's quite simply not my job. I'm not qualified. Yeah. But so, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of those things that we learn along the way, we don't, we don't start out knowing them. We don't start out um, meaning to cause harm, but somehow it happens. And that has those lessons have been the more painful ones for me. When I, my behavior in sobriety, when I make, make um, cause harm to somebody after I've been sober as long as I've been, and it's, it's just it, it is really ashes in my mouth. Yeah, uh, the, the other day I was, um, I thought I was being helpful with uh, at, at school. Uh, I had a very what I thought was a very helpful suggestion for the administration because um, we, you know, we have faculty meeting once a month or you know around that and and you know there's no like nobody sends out minutes afterwards what we talked about you know what we covered or anything like that and so I went to one of the assistant principals I said it'd be you know don't you think it'd be nice if we you know maybe had a summary of you know what happened he says I do so he says all right good. Howard will now be in charge of the summary. And he says, is there anything else you'd like to help with? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. He's like, he says, that sounds like a great job for you. <laughs> like, what do you mean somebody should? It's this, yeah, I love it. You know, well, well, whose job is it? 
Well, uh, so if, you, if you think it should be done, because you seem uh, to be quite emotionally invested in this, I guess it's you, you know? Yeah, we learned some of these lessons um, painfully, right. but and, that's, and, those are the teachers. Yeah, and this wasn't with two weeks of sobriety. This was two weeks ago. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. Oh, you, you still got, you still think you got brilliant ideas? Good. Now no, no, get to work. Well, this is the thing, and I've learned, and I've learned this with my children, by the way, especially my older son, when he will share something with me, and it's not like he's asking for my advice. No. If he's not asking for me, like saying, Mom, what do you think I should do about this? That's a direct invitation to give feedback. Yes, it Otherwise, is. it's just, wow, what do you think you should do? I have to say it that way. What do you think you should do? Yes. What, what, you know? And I'm learning that. If I make the mistake in AA and that prevents me from making the mistake with my son, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I learned that when somebody tells me something. So let's say my wife says, you know, I'm, I'm a little upset about something at work. Well, she's handing me this little box of fear that mm. she doesn't know how to handle so well. And she would like me to reorganize it so she can, you know, maybe look at it a little different. And Instead of me saying, you know, well, there's, you shouldn't be afraid. No, 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 that, that's not what she's asking. And I'm like, wow, that, that does look like something, you know, upsetting. You know, how, how can I help you? Right? In, instead of all these, uh, well, you know what you should do? Well, here's an idea. No, no, that's not what, you, you know. And she's not the only one. It's Most people are coming to me saying, can you, can you like reframe this for me so I can live with the fear? Because mm -hmm. ultimately, we have to live with the emotions right? They're not going to go away. They're just going to transform to something either better or worse. And so it's just, like you said, I, I too often, like, and I've had to stop myself and say, well, so were you looking for feedback or just a, a friendly ear? Yeah. And then they, they, they oh, you know what? I don't really know if I'm in the mood for feedback. I said, okay, then, then I, I'm, I'm happy to listen. And I have to sometimes preface that because, like you said, I go in there like, oh, they they must be looking for my advice because I have it, you know, even if they're not looking for it, right? Yeah, look at you. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I know. I, You know, the beauty about sponsorship and being a sponsor, and I sponsor several women, and they sponsor. So mm -hmm. I don't worry so much because I don't. Some of them are not around. I have a couple in New Jersey. I have one in Connecticut, one in California, a couple on, one on the East Coast of Florida, and a couple here on the West Coast of Florida. So, I mean, I have them all over, but they are all doing the deal. And so it enables me to um, sort of live a little bit vicariously through them coming and sharing things that I've now learned. If they're not asking me, what do you think I should say? What would you tell them? Mm -hmm. All of those things, I can easily just say, well, you know, I'm glad you shared that with me. What, how, what do you think? You know, yeah. what do you, you know, the situation better. And, you know, uh, if it's, if it's somebody who is heading for trouble and you can see it, coming and sometimes you just have to let it happen because i mean as long as the, it's not extreme harm or you know that they're going to pick up a drink over it or you know hurt somebody but the mistakes that we make have taught me more the only mistake i have ever learned from somebody else is relapse i've never had to relapse 
because of watching it. Otherwise, I'm not going to learn from somebody else's mistakes generally. But that one terrifies me because I don't think that I, somebody with an ego like mine would have a second shot at this deal. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would have the, the courage or the humility to come back. So I'll stay. I'll just stay. I just keep, keep claiming my seat. That's better anyway. Yeah, you, were, you reminded me, um, I was at Starbucks a couple of weeks ago, and I, I placed an order, and it's at one of the like busy little downtown you know, areas you know, in New Jersey, it's one, you know, busier town. I mean, the high school is, is around there. And I should have known that when I did a pre pre-mobile order that it probably wouldn't have been ready just because it's just such a busy place or, or order it sooner. Anyway, I get there and everyone's standing waiting for their stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, you're going to have to wait, you know? And there was one lady who, it, it looked like her face looked like me. It, it, so upset. And okay. And she's like getting more and more upset as she's waiting. And, and I'm like, it's like watching me start to rev up because, because I know how to run a Starbucks, right? Of all the Starbucks I've run, you know, I'm, I'm being silly. I haven't, I'm, and she's, you know, she says, "Excuse me, yeah, I, I've been waiting." You know, and I'm like, "Yep, there I am. I'm watching her." And and again, I'm learning from her because I, I walked in with that attitude, quite honestly. And then as I watched what I look like, I was like, "Okay, wow, let's," you know. And she says, "You know, I, I have to go to work." And this guy leans over to me and just, I'm, he's like, "Yeah." Well, they've been at work for quite some time, you know, and I was like, "Yes, they have." You know, there's two. There's really not enough people. That, but I'm like, in my mind, I look. I think this guy like, "Thank you." And like, he's not in a twelve-step program. He's just a general, mature, grown person, knowing that yeah, life's life's gonna just you know not work out the way you want it to. And I'm like, "Yeah." So just wait. Your name is called. Grab your thing and go. Don't say a word. Don't say. Don't give any feedback. Don't. Don't ask for the manager, all these things. But again, you know, well, the, the universe needs correcting. And somehow I've got, I'm in charge, right? Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. But this is 33 years of sobriety talking, and I know. I know. It's, it's embarrassing. So, it, it, well, just think how much worse it could be. Yeah, but, well, no, I, you know, I, I have to think about you know, how much better I could be. And, well, and I was better. That's- I was and better. That's the other way to look at it. And you were. You yeah. did the right thing. That's what I I have to give myself credit for the things I did right because yes. it's much easier for me to find the fault in the things I did wrong than to give myself credit for the things I did right. I mean, when my dad used to say, so you, you got a mouth big enough for another set of teeth. You know, ah. it's like, wow. Yes, I do. All right. Okay. So we reached that point where I like to ask about uh, you know, a, a book, a book. Uh, that has, has influenced your recovery. Yeah. And the one that uh, we, we talk about highlighting is, called, I think, Transforming Our Losses. It's actually an Al-Anon family group book. And, and if you could talk a little bit about that and, and maybe your experiences as going to Al-Anon and what, sure. what, what triggered that. Sure. I uh, actually got involved with a book group to do that book with two um, sponsees that I had in AA who were dealing with um, grief mm-hmm. and loss. And so there were several of us that met every week on Zoom um, and 
the the leader was a, a, a young woman who, I mean, she, uh, interestingly, I've, I'm very attracted to double winners. Um, I uh, and and I have grown into a position of um, interest and comfort within now and on as well, because yes. I, I used to see them as the enemy camp, yeah. and it was one of those things that it's like, uh oh, you know. I used to say, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sick enough to go to Al-Anon. And then I would say, I'm not well enough to go to Al-Anon. Right. And ultimately, I wasn't going one way or the other. But that was a 10 or 15 years of sobriety. And, and let me just and say, for, for those who don't know, a double winner, we call it, is someone who goes to someone both Someone who's films. in both. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what's really beneficial about that is that it's a holistic approach mm -hmm. to recovery because I get to flip the script and see it yeah. from both sides. And I think being married to someone who is a sober um, alcoholic um, has given me opportunities to, to practice yeah. some of that. But this book in particular was about dealing with grief and dealing with loss. And for me, it wasn't necessarily the grief or death of a loved one or or the the loss in that regard it was for me um the loss of my home in new jersey which mm. i had had since i'm four years old i had a home base in new jersey and had to give that up and become a full-time florida resident because it just got to be too much to take care of okay. too much to maintain for my husband whose health is failing and so not that he's, um, you know, he doesn't think so, but physically his body's breaking down mm. and, and, you know, his skeletal system um, is malfunctioning. But every bit of that is about letting go. And mm. it's about um, recognizing the transitions of life. And it's all transition, to be honest with you. And, and that Al-Anon perspective of it is to be able to do that in a way that I don't see it as something that is um, necessarily being done to me hmm. as much as it is just bearing witness to this is the life I get to live and, and how I process through on a daily basis what happens. What happens? And and to be available for other people in a way that is more caring, um, less controlling. Yeah. Um, you know, all of that is has been a, a wonderful experience. And this conference that I was just at in, in Atlantic City last weekend was a a roundup that had a very strong Al-Anon track as well as an AA track. Mm -hmm. And, and a young people's track, which mm. I don't get to see a lot of here in Florida, yeah. by the way, South Florida, where I am. Um, but it was it was a beautiful thing to watch how it comes together and to and to listen, to be able to listen and learn and now and on um, and and recognize that there is uh, there is value in in that information. Um, yeah. You know, I. Uh, that book was very helpful. Um, is, there, is, that it, is there anything that stands out that you can think of? Um, with that book, it was about re recognizing that 
the grief that we live through is the loss of anything. Mm. The loss of control, the loss of freedom, the loss of health, the loss of, is this all that's left of my life? Because mm. the feeling that time is running out, I don't mean that to sound macabre, but you know, you know, Joel and I used to talk a lot and, you know, one of the things that he, I said, you know, time just feels like it's moving faster. And he goes, well, it is. And yeah. <laughs> at this stage of the game, there's a right. lot less time ahead of you than behind yeah. you. And closer to the and end than the like, beginning. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that analogy. I'm, I, But I do appreciate that fact. So it makes me much more um, conscious about the fact to pay attention to what's right here, right now. What yeah. What is it that I need to do? What is it that isn't mine? And, you know, just take care of the, the things I can and let go of what I can. And that's, that's hard to do. I mean, it's yeah. really hard for somebody who wants to control. Yeah, I think, um, I think sometimes we just say that serenity prayer, but we need to slow down and really listen to the words Mm -hmm. what it what it really challenges us to do well and i have go to a group where we say the long version of the serenity prayer mm -hmm. which really has much more depth for me to be able to encapsulate that you know here and hereafter it's not just in yeah. this lifetime it is um, beyond what i can consciously know right now and that's okay there's not the same sense of fear that at one point I, I would have had. But, you know, it's a measure of a life well lived. I've heard that from a lot of people, a lot of spiritual teachers. And, you know, live your best life. It's right now. This is it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been, that's been very helpful. And that was very recently in the past two years that we did that book. So... Nice. It, uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's just, like I told you, my sponsor has always given me books and books and books. So she oh. is something else. Mm, that's nice. Well, we're coming to, uh, I think, the, the, our time here. And Have we been oh. talking for an hour and a half already? Uh, wow. Just about, just about, yeah. Wow. And, uh, I guess See, I, I could. I didn't even realize it was. I haven't been watching the clock because I've just been looking at you. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it, it flies by. You know, initially you think, boy, how, how are we, what are we going to feel? How are we going to do this? Yeah, we, really. we can do it. We can do it. Um, <laughs> but the the thing that maybe uh, if you if you had to say, you know, there's there's a woman maybe listening to this podcast. She's 35 years old. You know, and she's like, her life's a mess. You know, and is this thing going to work for me? What do, what do you have to say to her? Um, yes, it will. Mm -hmm. um, find somebody who has what you want and latch on to that person and, and stay. Don't, you know, I, I would say for sure there's an answer. We have, we each have to find our own answers. The directions are in the book, mm -hmm. in my opinion. I'll always default to the big book. Mm -hmm. The directions um, on how to find the answers or in the book, but we each have to find our own answers. They're in us. 
um, and that that the the guideposts along the way um, help keep us within a certain like we can bounce off of those bumpers as long as we stay. And you know, somebody will be able to help. There's always been, you know, it's like Mr. Rogers says, look for the helpers. There's helpers mm. in AA. And I know um, that if I can do this, anybody can do this. Because this is not where I wanted, this is not where I wanted to find that sense of belonging, that this is where I fit. This is not where I had on my list of places to go. But it's what happened for me. And, you know, thank God it did. Call me. <laughs> you could call me. Yeah. Well, thanks again for, um, for for taking the time and for opening up, and uh, this is a really great experience. Thank you. Thank you, Howard, and I, uh, I wish you uh, much goodness. Thank you. We have come to the end of this episode of the Seasons of Sobriety podcast. I trust that you were able to identify with the personal story of our guest and perhaps apply some of their experience to give you the hope needed to persevere through your own journey. If you'd like to contact the show, please send an email to podcast at seasonsofsobriety.com. The email address can be found in the show notes. This podcast has been completely self-funded. If you believe today's episode has been beneficial, I ask that you either contribute a little extra this week to your home group or another organization close to your heart. Until next time, remember, if you have trouble practicing the principles of the steps in all your affairs, you may have too many affairs.